Aloha, y'all. That's right, I live on the southern tip of the island of Hawaii. Um, so, hey, yeah, one clickbait episode wasn't enough, here's two. <laughs> I, I realized I had more to say about, uh, oddly enough, Johnny Depp Amber Heard from a different angle, and also uh, marriage. Not unlike the last episode, and I thought, well, maybe I should just splice all the Depp Heard stuff into one episode, and all the marriage stuff into another episode, but then I wouldn't get uh, two clickbaity titles out of that. So instead, that plus laziness equals three completely different yet thematically the same episodes in a row. A trilogy, if you will, because uh, this Depp Heard stuff is going to take probably the whole show. And then next episode, we'll revisit marriage from a completely different angle. And as for the Depp Heard stuff, it's really not about the trial so much as the aftermath. So, a sequel. <laughs> a sequel within a sequel. Um, I just, I find it odd that, you know, uh, the media surrounding the Depp Heard trial, I, it makes sense to to uh, want to believe Amber Heard, as I did, prior to the trial. And even when the trial was going on and I wasn't paying attention to it. But... If you're a media talking head um, or a writer for a newspaper um, or a magazine or whatnot, uh, presumably you're paying attention and you realize that um, there's something terribly, terribly wrong with uh, what she's saying and how she's saying it to the extent that, in fact, she lost. So the jury knows that, and anyone with eyeballs and stable mental health watching the trial understands what they're watching. Why don't the reporters in the mainstream media seem to understand? And it seems like such a silly little issue, because, um, you know, who cares? Ultimately, this doesn't affect our lives. It's not a, it's not a real um, newsworthy story outside of gossip columns and stuff like that. I, I get that. Except that the problem is, you know, when people like Donald Trump say fake news, fake news, everybody, we're seeing the element of truth in that with this, with something even as trite as this. So if you can't trust media people to know what they're talking about or be honest with what they're talking about in a trite, shallow sort of story, how can you trust it with the big stuff? is the implication. Um, and part of the reason that they're doing this, I believe, is because um, there are a lot of people in the media who are afraid about uh, this affecting the Me Too movement or women coming forward, not trusting women, all of that. Um, and in fact, when Amber Heard gave her big interview, I think it was on Dateline, there was a talking head on there, Michelle Goldberg, who I believe is a New York Times columnist, but I know her from MSNBC as a, a talking head. And she's someone I usually agree with and like hearing from, but here she's just way off base. And then it makes me like not completely call everything into question, but I realize now I have to be aware that, wow, if she can't understand something this basic, um, unless she hasn't watched the trial, unless she's just going you know, sort of off the cuff, then I, what else can't I trust her take on, you know? Um, 
But essentially, what she said as a talking head for the Amber Heard interview was that she's never seen anything like this online. All of the misogyny and um, vitriol and right-wingedness <laughs> uh, headed toward Amber Heard. Um, and that it's unwarranted and that this is what happens when a woman speaks about, her quote-unquote, her truth. I mean, this isn't a direct quote from Michelle Goldberg. This is just the summary. Um, but saying my truth is something that Amber Heard likes to say. I'm speaking my truth. And... Um, this is the this has been the catchphrase at least since the Michael Jackson uh, not trial which he won but the, the two later accusers were like we're speaking our truth and we're doing it in an emotive documentary leaving Neverland um, so it doesn't matter that there are no real facts involved here or whether this happened or not it's my truth it's about conjuring up emotion it's an emotive documentary and Amber Heard has sort of latched on to this. And, you know, this is my truth, and I'll defend it to my dying day. It's like, well, but it's not the truth. It's not even factually accurate, because you presented your facts and they were garbage. In fact, oddly enough, Dateline NBC released um, fairly lengthy clips of the Amber Heard interview prior to the actual show. They released them online, and... Uh, those clips are different than what you see on TV. So it, if you want to see the difference between how she is and how the mainstream portrays her, just go find those clips and then watch the show. <laughs> because they edit out key moments um, of what she says in the longer, you know, sort of online version. I mean, not, it's not a longer interview, but they're longer clips within the interview. Um, they edit out key things that make her look bad. Um, some of them are like Freudian slips. Some of them are just facial expressions. I mean, all sorts of things to make her look better. And I don't know if they were contractually obligated to do that. I don't know if um, Amber Heard did this and her team has final editing say. I don't know why they did it. But I don't know why they released one thing online and one thing different uh, on TV, unless maybe they were trying to stir up controversy. I don't know. I don't know why anyone does anything anymore. Or do I? I guess we'll get to that later. All I know is, <laughs> uh, at least for this preamble, um, they were different. And if you only watch the mainstream media version <laughs> on TV and not what they released online, you might end up sympathetic to her or, or more so. Um, than you would if you watched what was really asked and how she really answered in certain segments of the show. And yet, they want us to trust them as a news magazine outlet, as what, a down-the-middle voice for a person who lost their case in court? And now you're just going to lob softball questions at her uh, and prop her up and make her look like a hero? Or like somehow she still represents all women everywhere and we're just a bunch of misogynist right-wingers if uh, we disagree with that? That's a tall order, especially considering that in the end, the Dateline interview did terrible ratings, especially as compared to... Um, 
the actual trial, like watching the trial online, or I guess maybe even on court TV, I'm not sure. But definitely online. I mean, millions and millions and millions of people watched this. So who is your audience at the end of the day, really? Like, are there people who are like, gonna tune in to Dateline because they're big Amber Heard fans? No. Like, regardless of this trial, and, and it's not a knock on her in this sense, I mean, she just wasn't that big of an actress. Uh, so it's not like she's got this giant fandom clamoring to see more Amber Heard. There are some people, I'm sure, but it's not TV ratings big, um, clearly. So anyone who would be interested in this probably already knows about it. And anyone who's not interested probably isn't going to pay attention, because if you could ignore it this long, why would you start watching now? So you get the sense that there is a, a an aspect of this that is self-inoculation against for media the media people themselves or the company um, trying to put on airs of doing the right thing when they're clearly in the wrong. And it makes even less sense because she was found guilty or found... I mean, this wasn't a criminal case. I don't know what the technical term would be, but she lost. I mean, she lost her case. So, so, but I do understand the sort of liberal fear, especially when you do see right-wingers who have attached themselves to this case on Twitter, that this is a case of, um, you know, the attachment of saying men to, of creating a hashtag called men to after this, or I, I don't know if it was before this, men too. Maybe it existed before the Depp Heard trial, and I just never paid attention. But I, I noticed it after, certainly. And I do notice that some right wingers like my pithy comments. I don't know. Whenever, whenever I respond to somebody online about Amber Heard trial shenanigans, um, yeah, there are some right wingers, but not all of them, not even most of them. But there is, again, just to go back here, the fear, I think, is that this is like, you know, when uh, we say black lives matter, then there's the response, all lives matter or blue lives matter, which are both um, ways of being able to not say black lives matter. They're racist. They're racist hashtags by people who don't want to be known as racists. Maybe they don't even see themselves as racists. But they are. That's what that is. That's a way of saying, look, black lives don't matter. <laughs> all lives matter. And it sounds nice. It sounds ideal to say, right, you know, all lives matter. Cops matter too. But the point is that for so long in society, systemically even, black lives have not mattered or not mattered as much. And so black lives matter hashtag is a wake up call to say, to force you to say, yeah, black lives matter. And it's disingenuous to say all lives matter because they didn't a minute ago. It's only when we said black lives matter that you said, oh, but all lives. And so it is with men too. Oh, except that I'm not so sure that A, the Me Too hashtag is specifically for women, although it seemed to be at first. But I thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, any listener out there, that the Me Too hashtag was originally about um, women in the workplace being uh, sexually harassed or worse um, by usually male bosses and or co-workers. But then Amber Heard took it and made it about um, domestic violence 
and she framed it in terms of, look, this is how I, my, what, what happened to me when I spoke truth to power. But the power you're talking about isn't Johnny Depp as an actor or a Hollywood higher up. The power you're talking about is Johnny Depp as your husband. And that's fine. But is that an expansion of Me Too into domestic abuse? Okay. And then Men Too comes along and says, but wait a minute, what about men? Well, does Me Too really just include women? Or is it primarily women who are abused? And so we just associate it with women. But can't it be a big umbrella, including everyone and just all abuse victims? Um, or is that the equivalent of saying all lives matter so that we can ignore the fact that very specifically women have it worse? These are things we can mull over in the politosphere if we care to, I suppose. I just made that up, politosphere. I'm sure there's a real word with sphere in it for politics, <laughs> but that's the one I came up with. Uh, in any event, I don't think even with the advent of men to hashtagging that or Johnny Depp winning a trial because Amber Heard clearly deserves to lose that this will or even has at this point instill fear of, um, you know, women stepping forward or anyone stepping forward. I think it's just a fallacy. Just as saying that the Depp, the Johnny Depp audience is all right, right wingers and misogynists. It's a fallacy. It's people. Of course, there's going to be that. But in the main, I think it's people, including lawyers on LawTube, uh, many women and many abuse victims at that. Uh, who just see with their own eyes that Amber Heard was doing a terrible acting job on the stand um, and heard the tapes where she's abusive to him. And why is she recording him <laughs> in the first place? And why in none of those recordings can she get him to admit that he abuses her, although she admits that she abuses him? I mean, it's just, it's crazy on top of crazy. So it's not going to compromise victims because victims watching this understand that Amber Heard is not a victim, male or female. I mean, we all seem to get it. So with that, I want to ask, why do we ignore the female voices speaking out against her? Because there are so many, especially online. There are a lot of female abuse victims who speak out against Amber Heard, and they are to what? Be ignored? And what about Johnny Depp's lawyer, Camille Vasquez? Why did she not get turned into a hero the way Marsha Clark did, who actually lost her case prosecuting O.J. Simpson. You remember that? Marsha Clark lost her case. And for a while there, she was a media darling and a hero. Hmm, I wonder what the difference here is between the young upstart lawyer who won her case and the prosecutor who lost her case. What's the difference? And also, not to mention that Clark was basically just a prosecutor doing a job, whereas Vasquez was committed because she knew Amber Heard was guilty. She'd seen the evidence, and Amber was clearly abusive and gaslighting, and it just the nature of her character was obvious. She was a terrible actress on the stand. Are we to ignore that? Because we're afraid that if one alleged victim is shown to be a fraud... Then what? The house of cards comes crumbling down. I mean, it's just silly. I, it's so, like, I don't even know why we need to discuss this, and yet, apparently, the discussion needs to happen, whether it needs to happen on our and doing radio, I don't know. 
but uh, but we're having it. It's just simple. It's Amber doesn't represent all women. She does not represent abuse victims. We all need to grow up. But, and here's where the hour in doing this kicks in. How are we to grow up when we live hashtag lives? Typing to each other something that we feel about some issue or another just because. Do we see that living hashtag lives is a problem? Where you can write some words and put them out there and suddenly there's a cause or suddenly there's bullying. Suddenly there's um, death threats depending on who makes up the hashtag and who promotes it, how it gets out into the world. We know from our own inner experience that we are not just like cold, robotic, dead inside, I hope, people. Who in our everyday personal lives, I, again, I hope this is still true and I'm just not an outdated model myself, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that our own personal lives, we don't really make a whole lot of decisions based on the hashtags of uh, strangers, of invisible people behind screen names who may or may not be people at all. They may be bots on a Russian troll farm or some other country troll farm or our own troll farm. Who knows? And yet, we will do a pile-on. We will be influenced to think something about other people or causes of people uh, based on the mass interest of strangers who may or may not be alive. <laughs> may, or, may or may not be just some 12-year-old in his parents' basement. Or a spy or something, you know. <laughs> or an advertisement firm. So why do we treat each other as though like, it's not even a question of why do we treat each other the way we don't want to be treated. It's why do we treat each other in a way that we know we don't ourselves function. Like, it's not within us to, to be that way with each other one-on-one. Um, -on -one. It's not that way in our own internal selves. Like, we're just not as robotic and cold and even separative as in our personal lives as we are online and in our internal selves as we're allowed to be online. And so the downside to this trial or one of them is that because it was public and it took weeks, there was very quickly a little online community that, that built up around this non-issue and is still there today. Like still, I mean, as I, record this, um, the judge has just finally doled out the official rulings. Um, so it's even the, the case seems to trickle on a little bit. But eventually it's going to end for real. And what are all these people going to do? Like, they're already asking that, you know, like, oh my God, what do we do? It's like, I don't know. There's um, an insurrection hearing going on. Could you funnel some of that energy and care there how about to the supreme court that's taking away your rights left and right i mean this is how dysfunctional we are on average 
we don't care about issues really enough to do anything about them that affect our lives or potentially will affect our lives until they really affect our lives. And then suddenly we're up in arms. And it's easy to see this with Republicans and right-wingers and stuff because they just have no empathy to even speak of, whereas liberals have empathy to speak of, but their actions don't necessarily match their speech or even how they feel. It's only after their rights get taken away that, oh, now all of a sudden the world's crumbling. Well, where were you? Where were you yesterday? Where were you when this was all going on, when people were conspiring to take away your rights for decades and decades and decades, and you didn't do anything about it or care enough to, you know, outside of like type up a meme or something. Um, and that's one issue to get over. But now, now we've got this further removed uh, lack of relationship, um, which is that we have a propensity now to just invest all of our energy into... Um, issues that are non-issues like Republicans will take up an insane non-issue side of a real issue when it comes to politics in the name of religion or some other thing that, you know, but now it's like the topic itself doesn't even have to be important and we can fight over it. We can form division over it. And you could say like, well, yeah, this is all a diversion and, but, don't we have enough diversions? I mean, we had movies and TV before that, right? <laughs> we had uh, the ability to just tear down stars and stuff like that. But now it's like we have to, we feel the need to form pseudo online community around it and commiserate and plot and do real actions in the world, perhaps on behalf of in a way that's that is lunacy becoming rationalized and standardized? I mean, I, I've been hearing people in terms of the insurrection hearings um, talking about, well, and coupled with the abortion, uh, you know, the, uh, the abortion ban going into effect here, that it's time to go, you know, full Joker style, meaning that last movie, The Joker. But seriously, where were you when you could do something about it? I mean, obviously, that that judgment or condemnation or question, whatever it is you feel about that, isn't for isn't on everyone. There are plenty of people who are out protesting in the streets all the time. But these are uh, these are quote unquote hardcore leftists, right? There's hardcore leftists, and then there's progressives, and then there's liberals. You know, you get this continuum. Shouldn't everyone? Be on board with doing the right thing and promoting a system that does the right thing constantly? Shouldn't we all be booting the people who don't, who are like psychopaths? Uh, shouldn't all the Amber Herds of the world be losing their cases? I mean, <laughs> I mean really. But instead, we complain about it after the fact. Because we don't feel it until it's real for us, until it is our truth, right? And this is the problem with this mindset that we have, this divisive mind that we are going further and further, deeper and deeper into divisions with. We cannot see clearly. We can only have this continuum. 
bad things are always going to continue on this continuum, and we're going to continue to support them with our silence, most of us. Or with our shrugging it off, like, eh, can't do anything about it. Or with our integrating within the system, as so many baby boomers who used to believe they were progressive hippies too, did with Reagan and afterwards. Once you become comfortable in a world of complete discomfort, then your comfort is someone else's discomfort. And why would you want to remember that? You're comfortable. I mean, why would Supreme Court justices who are rich and powerful care about uh, passing laws that will never affect them? I mean, they can say, oh, I'm a fundamentalist religious type. Or they can lie and say that my religion doesn't affect my politics. But the deeper, truthier truth is their decisions won't affect them. And they know it. So what do they care? And most of you didn't care until right now. So why do you care? Oh, right, because it affects you moving forward. Is there a mind that cares in proper proportion to the situation at all times? Is there a mind that can see clearly, that can pierce through all the BS in a single glance? If there is, what are we doing? What are we doing playing around with this separative, dysfunctional, ultimately psychotic mind where the lesser of evils is your comfort zone? And... It's created by what you would normally consider to be evil people, except now you worship them as billionaires or as, you know, great political figures. Can we afford to live so distantly from each other? So disconnected within ourselves? Is this it for us? We just latch on to... A subject we can feel something about and pick a side. And it doesn't matter what that subject is. It doesn't matter if it really affects our lives or not, so long as it forms a, sure, temporary, but real feeling community, which isn't real at all, because, well, it's temporary and it's centered around nothing. Can we afford to do that anymore? Can we afford... To just get irate and upset and cry and depressed and angry and suicidal and homicidal and all of that. Because our lives aren't going the way we thought they would or they were just ten minutes ago. Until a gavel struck and said, nope, that's done. I mean, we all know what's next, right? Clarence Thomas, I don't know if anyone followed this or not, but Clarence Thomas basically laid the groundwork through the uh, anti-abortion stuff to say gays are next. And contraception at large is next. All of these things are next. <laughs> I mean, we thought it was just going to be trans people who get it, and everyone was fine with that except for trans people. Uh, but no, it's going to be uh, gays and lesbians again. You're, you're up to bat next. It's only a hop, skip, and a jump there. Back to black people. Back to the color of your skin. 
And then, poor whites, we're back to you again, because you'll think that you're back on top of the world until you're not. Here we are, in the cycle. Wash, rinse, repeat. And isn't it simple, why we're doing this? Isn't it that we have an ownership society, where we worship the owner class? And far too few of us can afford to own anything anymore in this society? And so, what's one thing we can do? Well, we can own each other. That's what the Republicans have been doing in a quote-unquote metaphorical way. Owning the libs, right? How many times have you heard this over the past, I don't know, six years or so? They own the libs. That's the entire platform. Just own the libs. Well, we're at the point where that's going to be literal. And it's not just going to be libs. It's going to be people wanting to own people, right? You got to own something. You can't own up to your dysfunction, so you got to have that sense of power somewhere in the world. It might as well be with other people, and it's not going to be enough to bully. It's not going to be enough to troll them online. This, too, shall spill out into the world. I don't know if you noticed, but slavery goes back pretty far in, uh, well... Not every human culture, but in a lot of them. And you don't just erase that mentality because some old white guys wrote it down on paper a few hundred years ago. Like, that just isn't how this works. You deal with the mind that creates such things. You expose yourself to your own mind. Or you repress. And when you repress, it comes back. And here we are. So no, I don't think the Johnny Depp win is fostering that in any way. We see this old mentality and we say, well, it's just clinging on for dear life. It's trying to change things back to the bad old days, to the way things were. And it's up to us to make that not happen. But... When you really look at it, all of those issues that you struggle against are perpetual issues of this mind. They're not old school. They're not old school dinosaurs dying out and on their last gasp. I mean, I've been hearing this since I was a teenager. And there may be nothing that you can do to change other people's minds. But maybe you don't need to. Maybe it begins and ends. That's right. You know what I'm going to say with you.